The Westminster Confession of Faith was first published in 1646. It was the result of the hard work done by a group of men called the Westminster Divines. Their goal was to outline what they believed the Scriptures principally taught. And it has been said that the Church of Christ cannot be creedless and live. Thankfully, the Westminster Confession of Faith has been the creed of the Reformed Church for almost 400 years. This podcast seeks to point you to Christ, to help you navigate the Westminster Confession of Faith, and to see you understand what you believe and why you believe it. Welcome to This We Confess. Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 29 of the Lord's Supper, Paragraphs 7 and 8. Worthy receivers, outwardly partaking of the visible elements in the sacrament, do then also inwardly, by faith, really and indeed, yet not carnally and corporally, but spiritually, receive and feed upon Christ crucified and all the benefits of his death the body and blood of Christ being then not corporally or carnally in with or under the bread and wine, yet as really but spiritually present to the faith of believers in that ordinance, as the elements themselves are, to their outward senses. Paragraph 8. Although ignorant and wicked men receive the outward elements in this sacrament, yet they receive not the things signified thereby but by their unworthy coming thereunto, are guilty of the body and blood of the Lord to their own damnation. Wherefore all ignorant and ungodly persons, as they are unfit to enjoy communion with him, so they were unworthy of the Lord's table, and cannot, without great sin against Christ, while they remain such, partake of these holy mysteries, or be admitted thereunto. Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 88 of This We Confess, which sees us complete our look at the Lord's Supper. So far, the Westminster Divines have told us what the Supper is for, what isn't going on at the table, and they have spoken against the so-called real presence of Christ at the Supper, where allegedly the bread and the wine turn into the actual physical body and blood of Christ. As the chapter concludes, the Westminster Divines speak about the two types of people who come to the table. There are worthy receivers and ignorant and wicked men. I'm going to take paragraph 8 first today, as we discuss those who take the supper but should be nowhere near the table. As we've already heard, the Westminster Divines describe such individuals as ignorant and wicked men. And such language troubles our sensitive modern ears, and yet the Westminster divines speak rightly. You and I may be Christians, but we were once desperately wicked and dead in sin. We were absolutely ignorant about the things of God, and we had no clue about our need of Christ. Those who are in Adam are both ignorant and wicked, and they must be saved. That isn't to say that we Christians can boast of perfection. Absolutely not. We are simul just et peccator, 
at the same time justified, yet still sinful. But we have been made alive in Christ. We are no longer ignorant of the things of God, for he has revealed them to us, and he has caused us to be born again. Therefore, when the Westminster divines speak of those who are ignorant and wicked, they accurately describe everyone who is outside of Christ. There might be some who are more ignorant and more wicked than others, but without Jesus, all in this world are without hope and without God. Tragically, out of sheer ignorance and willful disobedience, such individuals still come to the Lord's table. The minister will fence the table by declaring that only Christians in good standing with the church should come to the table. And yet with ears that will not hear and eyes that will not see, unsaved men and women still come to eat and drink. What happens to such individuals? If the Roman Catholics are correct, then these wicked and ignorant fools actually are eating the body and blood of Christ. And that must have some sort of positive spiritual impact. No, it does not. The bread and the wine do not turn into the body and blood of Christ. And when an ungenerate man eats at the table, he merely is eating everyday common things. The elements do not make him any better. And they do not give him favour in the sight of God. He is not helping himself spiritually. The Westminster divines are clear that such an individual does not receive the thing signified by the supper. What is signified by the supper? Let's remind ourselves again of paragraph 1 in this very chapter. Our Lord Jesus, in the night wherein he was betrayed, instituted the sacrament of his body and blood called the Lord's Supper to be observed in his church until the end of the world for the perpetual remembrance of the sacrifice of himself in his death, the sealing all benefits thereof unto true believers, their spiritual nourishment and growth in him, their further engagement in and to all duties which they owe unto him, and to be a bond and pledge of their communion with him and with each other as members of his mystical body. And so the unsaved individual could come to the table 1,000 times and at no point will it do him any good because he has rejected Christ. There is no benefit to such a man, no spiritual nourishment, no growth, no further engagement with the Lord. The ignorant and the wicked person at the table has foolishly done something that they should never, ever have contemplated. You see, my friends, just as the supper does nothing good for that individual, it actually harms that individual spiritually. The Westminster divines say that by their unworthy coming to the table, they are guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord to their own damnation. And again, these might seem like harsh words, but they are lifted directly from Holy Scripture. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27 to 29, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body 
eats and drinks judgment on himself. Someone who does not know Christ has no place at the Lord's table. It is not merely a poor choice for that individual, but by eating and drinking in an unworthy manner, they drink judgment upon themselves. They declare by their presence at the table that they love Christ and have received him by faith, and yet the opposite is true. They are treating the Lord with contempt by claiming the blessings of the faith without ever acknowledging the author of the faith. It is a serious thing to come to the Lord's Supper without faith in Christ, and sadly it is a blight of Northern Ireland Christianity. The Westminster divines say that such persons are unfit to enjoy communion with the Lord and are therefore unworthy of the table, and they sin greatly against Christ as they demand a seat at his meal. My friends, today, if you do not know Jesus, then stay away from his table. The Lord has no regard for your presence there. You have invited yourself. You have barged into the feast, uninvited by the host. Do not do it. Instead, today, repent and believe the gospel and flee from the spiritual danger that you are in. And to my fellow church elders, I would urge you to take discipline seriously, to allow unbelievers to partake of the supper and to be admitted to the table is a failure of your pastoral responsibility. Consistently, the scriptures tell us that the things of God are not for the world. 2 Corinthians 6 and 14 to 16, Paul warns us that we are not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership, he says, has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness what accord has Christ with Belial or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever what agreement has the temple of God with idols and the Lord warns us in Matthew 7 and verse 6 do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you And in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 13, God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Now this is not a call for you to pick up your pitchforks and torches and to storm the homes of the pagans who come to your visible church. Not at all. But when it comes to the Lord's Supper, if you know a man or woman within your church family is not a believer and yet they insist on coming to the Lord's table, then you have a God-given responsibility to act. And so, sinner, run away from the table and run to Christ instead. And elder, do not allow the table to be abused just because you don't want to rock the boat in your church. And so, with that said about paragraph 8, we jump back to the entirely more positive paragraph 7, which speaks of worthy receivers. Who are these worthy receivers? They are men and women who have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. They are Christians. They are born again. They have been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. They are the redeemed of Christ. Such individuals come to the table without ignorance. They know what it is about and they approach it carefully. The Apostle encourages us in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 28 
Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. A worthy receiver knows their sin, and therefore they come to the table in much repentance and clinging fast to Jesus. And when such a worthy receiver comes to the table, they receive and feed upon Christ crucified and all the benefits of his death. Again, we stress that Christ is not really present in the elements of bread and wine. The Westminster divines say that the worthy receiver doesn't feast on Christ carnally or corporally. In other words, we don't feast on Jesus in the flesh present with us in the supper. Instead, we feast upon him by faith. The supper is a remembrance of Christ's death, but it is not just a mere remembrance. Our nation remembers the war dead once a year, but such acts of remembrance do us no spiritual good. As our churches come to the supper, we remember Christ, and at the same time, much spiritual good is done for our souls. Christ is not physically present at the supper, but he is spiritually present at the table. And we cannot emphasize this enough. Paul states in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 16, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Jesus is spiritually present at the table. And as we come and eat and drink, we participate in his blood and in his body. But if Christ is not in the elements physically, but he is spiritually present, how present is present? The Westminster divines answer that question. They state, The body and blood of Christ, being then not corporally or carnally in, with, or under the bread and wine, yet as really but spiritually present to the faith of believers in that ordinance, as the elements themselves are to their outward senses. What they're stating here is that just as the elements of bread and wine are present to our outward senses, so Christ is as present to our faith. We can touch, taste and smell the bread and the wine. They are visible and tangible and present to our outward senses. And in the same way at the supper, Christ is as closely present as this to our souls. Such truth makes the Lord's Supper an incredible feast in the worship of any local church. And I do not know how many days I have left, but if the Lord spurs me, and if he tarries, I want to work towards local reformed congregations coming to the Lord's Supper each and every Lord's Day. We would baptize every Sunday if necessary, and so I have never understood why we set the table on so few occasions per year. Christ has given us the ordinary means to build us and strengthen us until he comes. May we make much of the ordinary means of grace, and not least the supper. For at the table, worthy receivers feast on Christ by faith. They enjoy all the blessings and benefits of being called children of God, and they proclaim Christ's death until he comes.
As always, here are some questions for you to consider. Question 1. Name the two groups of people described in today's episode. Question 2. Calling someone wicked and ignorant seems quite harsh, but why is it an accurate description of everyone outside of Christ? Question 3. Does coming to the Lord's Supper do any spiritual good for the unbeliever? Does it do them any harm? Question 4. Why is the supper not just a remembrance of Christ's sacrifice? And question 5. Is Christ really or spiritually present at the table? And just how present is present? That's all for today. As always, my name is Scott Woodburn. And until next time, this we confess. Thank you.